0: You're listening to the Grace Family Church podcast. Notes for today's sermon are available by downloading the GFC Florida app. All right. Well, good morning, Grace Family Church. Uh, I'm so excited to be with you here this morning. My name is Hal Mirror. I'm the campus pastor of the Temple Terrace campus. i just like to welcome all of you here. Welcome all of you at all of our seven campuses. And of course, those of you that are watching online. We are in our second week of our series, He Said What, which is the last words of Jesus. And if you didn't see last week's message, you need to go back. Pastor Daryl, he taught on the last words of Jesus while he was on the cross. Incredibly powerful message. But what we're gonna be talking about today is this, is we're gonna take a step back a little bit, and what we're gonna be looking at is Jesus' last words, but his last words to all of his disciples. And Jesus' last words to all of his disciples It took time, what they called it, they called it the last supper. It was the last meal, the last time all the disciples were coming together for a meal, and Jesus, basically, he wanted to download everything that it was going to do. Like We understand this because a lot of our biggest moments come around a meal, right? A family meal. That last moment where you get to, to speak to somebody before they leave, before they take off, or your, your kids before they go off to college, or a new job, or they leave the house before you, know, you start that new family. Whatever it may be, some of the biggest moments happen around a table. And Jesus and the disciples, they were coming around this table very purposefully to celebrate something called Passover. And here's what's so cool is Jesus is about to explain what he's about to do at a time where they're remembering what God already did. And the parallels, the parallels between the Passover and what Jesus is about to do, it's just one of those things where you go, is this a coincidence? No, God's incredibly purposeful. And what Jesus is trying to do is explain this to him. Because the disciples, They didn't want Jesus to die. In fact, none of them thought Jesus was going to die. And so he's trying to get across, like, I have to die because there's a reason behind it. But to understand what Jesus was was saying, what I want to do is I want to take a step back and look at the Passover. What is the Passover? You see, back in the Old Testament times, when you look at the book of Exodus, the Israelites lived in Egypt. They were in Egypt, they were flourishing in Egypt. At one point, there were over a million people. They were doing great, but then all of a sudden, a Pharaoh came to power that was afraid of them. He was so afraid of them that he started to enslave them, to subjugate them, to put them under their law, and they would force them into manual labor, and they would try to beat them down and keep them in their place. And so because of this, God was not excited about this, God did not want this to happen, so he was going to send Moses to free. He was going to send a savior for those people. Well, the Pharaoh heard that this was going to happen, so what did Pharaoh do? Pharaoh goes, I'm going to kill all the baby boys, that way Moses won't come through. What happens, Moses somehow lives, he actually grows up in the Pharaoh's palace. The first first parallel, who else was almost tried tried to get killed before they were born? Remember when Jesus was being born and Herod said, I need to find this kid. And so we see Moses, he grows up in the palace. He learns the Egyptian ways, but also longs for his Israelite people. One day he goes out and he sees one of them being beat to death. And he's so angry that he goes after the Egyptian and it beats that Egyptian to death. He he feels righteous in what he's done, but when he comes out the next day, he's expecting the Israelites to go, oh, you are our savior. You're the one that, that we need. But instead they're afraid of him. And they say, well, you know what, we, we don't want you. Are you gonna beat us in the same way? So he goes off into the desert for 40 years prepare for what God's going to do. Just in the same way Jesus went to the desert for 40 days before he started his ministry. And God speaks to him through a burning bush and tells him, I need you to go back to the Pharaoh. I need you to free my people. And he goes to the Pharaoh and he says those famous words. He says, let my people go. And the Pharaoh says, no. <laughs> he says, nope, it's not gonna happen. They're my workforce. I'm not gonna let him go. So Moses says, fine, there's gonna be plagues. And there was 10 plagues. There was water, all the water turned into blood in one of the plagues. One of the plagues was boils on everyone's skin. Another plague was locusts coming through and eating all the crops, but the Pharaoh would not relent. He would not let them go until finally the last plague was coming. The last plague was the angel of death would come over and kill the firstborn son of every family. And as that plague was about to happen, Moses went to the Israelite people and said, these are the words from God. This is what you need to do. You need to take a lamb. You need to slaughter it and take the blood and put it above the doorway because the blood is going to signify to the angel that you are God's people in the same way that Jesus' blood signifies to God that we are his He says, you're gonna eat that lamb. You're going to be ready to to move. The moment God moves, we're going to move. The moment Pharaoh says, you can go, we're gonna head out. And then that night the angel came over and he passed over, that's where they get the name. He passed over the Israelite houses, but he did kill the firstborn son of the Egyptians. And so Pharaoh's heart finally unhardened and let the people go. And God said, I need you to remember what I did for you. I need you to remember that I freed you. And the way you're going to remember this is through a Passover meal that's going to happen yearly. So when Jesus sits down with the disciples, they're about to have this Passover meal, this Passover meal where they're going to remember what God already did and how Jesus is going to explain to them hey, guys, remember the lamb that needed to be slain? In the same way, I am going to be slain. In the same way there needed to be blood that was spilled, in the same way my blood needs to be spilled for forgiveness and for freedom for everyone. So this last meal, what Jesus is trying to do, he's trying to prepare them for the future, but at the same time, what he gives them is he gives them something to hold on to, something to remind them of what is most important on a regular basis. Because you guys know this, we need to be reminded of what's most important, because life gets in the way. I mean, you wanna know how crazy it is and how things can change. This Sunday, we call Palm Sunday because on this Sunday, all the Jewish people came around Jesus, laid down palms, sang his praises, yet within a week, they were calling for him to be killed. In the same way, our wants, our desires come into play. Things come into our life. Tragedy happens. And all of a sudden, our mind and our our heart moves away from Jesus to something else. So we need something to remind us and to bring us back to what's most important. And what Jesus said that was, was, was communion. He said, in this, in this meal that you're going to have, you are gonna remember what I did for you. And so we see in Matthew 26, which is the first gospel, the account of communion. It's only a chapter in each of the gospels and it's a small chapter in 1 Corinthians, but it has profound implications on the way that we live the Christian life. It says this in Matthew 26. It says, as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take this and eat it, for this is my body. It says, And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, Each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Like He's, he's explaining to them, Guys, this is what's going to happen, but I also need you to understand something really big. I'm bringing you a new covenant. See, up until that point, they were under the old covenant. The old covenant was, if you follow all my laws, God will bless you. If you don't follow the laws, he will remove his blessing. He goes, no, no, there's something new now. No, this is no longer just for the Israelite people. This is no longer just for the Jewish people. This is for everyone. I want to bring you freedom through my sacrifice in my blood. He goes, I don't want you to remember this so that the main thing stays the main thing. So what I wanna do just real quick right now is I just wanna break down each of those elements and why it's so important to us in our daily lives. And the first one was the bread. See, the bread was unleavened bread because for the Passover, they had to have unleavened bread because it doesn't spoil, so they were gonna take it with them. So Jesus literally, he breaks the bread. He goes, my body will be broken for you because the bread represents Jesus' body and Jesus' body, it represents the sacrifice that was needed. It was the sacrifice that was required. See, see we know this. There needed to be a sacrifice. There was sin that was in the way. A perfect person, there had to be a perfect person who was sacrificed that could take on the sins of the world. This is why it bothers me so much when I hear Christians say, oh, there's multiple ways to heaven. Well, if there was, why did Jesus have to die? I mean, God is an awful person If he sent Jesus to be beaten, to to have a crown of thorns put on his head, to go up in one of the worst executions possible, which is crucifixion, why would God allow that to happen if there was another way? If there was a simpler way? But the reason I think we need to remember that Jesus paid the price with his sacrifice is I think what the enemy loves to do is he loves to make us think that we still need to earn it. We still need to earn God's love. We still need to earn God's favor. We still need to earn God's acceptance. Even though we know this, God's already told us, there's nothing you can do that can make me love you any less or any more. I've already taken care of that. See, when we try to earn God's love and God's acceptance, it's kinda like trying to build a sandcastle as the, the tide is coming in. You ever try to do that? I think we all do that as kids, and then we learn from it. But now it's fun as a parent to watch your kids try to do it, like you know what's gonna happen they're building the sandcastle and you're just kind of watching then all of a sudden one kid realizes wait a second the water's getting closer And like we need to build the sandcastle bigger we need bigger walls because sand holds up to water right and they build bigger walls and then the water comes in even the smallest wave and it takes part of it out they're like "No, oh, we need bigger walls and then the small wave comes in and takes it out and they're like well you know what we need we need a moat and they just start digging my son's like, ha, my Dad, you need to help. If you could do this, we could save the sandcastle. I'm like, one, no, you can't. Two, I, I don't want to. <laughs> At my age, that will hurt for the next couple days. And then one kid always shells. And they put the shells on the front. They're like, nothing can defeat shells. And then what happens every time? Every time the, the, the waves come in, the tide comes in, the sandcastle is removed. Guys, that's the same idea. That's what our works mean to God. He goes, I, I've already accepted you. I've already loved you. In fact, here's what's great. When we realize God already paid the price, Jesus already paid the price, we no longer work for God because we have to. We do God's work because we get to. It's not for his love, but it's from his love. Second Corinthians 521 says it this way, it says, for God made Christ who never sinned, to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. He's saying, I just wanna remind you, I've already paid the price, you don't need to pay it. So when the enemy comes in and says, you need to work for this, God doesn't love you the way you are, you need to work harder, you go, no, 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 he already told me that it was paid for. See, God's, Jesus' body, it represents the sacrifice And the second part would be the juice or the wine. It represents Jesus' blood, and Jesus' blood is the forgiveness that we need daily. It's the forgiveness that we need daily. You're like, how, you need forgiveness daily? Yes. I always will either say something, do something, or think too much about saying or doing something that's not right. And I need to ask God for forgiveness. I need to do that. I think the problem that happens many times in the Christian world is we realize how big sin is before we become a Christian, but then we minimize it the moment we are one. Like we realize how big it is, because we're like, we we know the story. Jesus had to die to forgive us from our sins, but once we gain heaven, we minimize the sin. And we don't realize what happens is, well, we don't lose heaven, we lose relationship with God. And I think the thing that happens many times as, as Christians, we start to be a little bit comfortable with the idea that we no longer hear from God because I can gain the freedom of knowing where I'm going and I still get to live my own life. God's like, no, 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 you need forgiveness so that you can hear me, so that you can walk with me. And for those of you in here that the enemy has come to you and said, hey, yeah, he forgave all those things, but he won't forgive that. Yeah, he forgave you before you became a Christian, but now you're a Christian, you shouldn't do that anymore. God can't forgive you, that's not true. That is a lie. Jesus, when he died on the cross, he died for all the sins that you would commit before you became a Christian and all the sins you commit after you became a Christian. The maturity level of a Christian understands that and the moment that they sin, they look back to Jesus and they confess it. They confess it. Because any moment where I'm separated from the relationship with God is not a moment I need to be living in. In fact, the moment that we're separated is the moment where we allow the enemy to play games with our mind. See, we need that forgiveness because it allows us to hear from God. Hebrews 9, 14 says it this way. It says, how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciousness from the acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. What is God saying? Hey, from the moment you sin, the moment that you decide to confess it, I'm going to cleanse that from you, so I want you to go forward. He's not saying you gotta sit in it. It's not saying you gotta think about it. The moment you confess, I wanna move forward because God is not about your past. He is always about your future. It's not about what you've done. It's about what you're going to do and what you can do. Look, we talk about this. The the sacrifice, the blood, it brought us freedom. And many times that's what we sit on as Christians. We sit on the freedom. We sit on the fact that we've gained heaven. But sometimes we forget that it brought something else. Like Jesus' sacrifice absolutely brought a freedom, but it also, it also brought a calling. It brought a calling. And I believe many times when we think about calling, we immediately think of what we do in the church, which is a part of it, don't get me wrong whether we serve in youth or on the greeting team or maybe we serve with the babies or whatever that may be, we're a small group leader. We think about that ministry. And as a pastor, the Bible is pretty specific on what a pastor is supposed to do. We're supposed to equip the saints or the Christians to do the work of God. And so that is, a Christianese word for that would be discipleship. And that is what I love to do. I love to, I love to do discipleship. I love to help people take next steps. I help, love to help people see what God is calling them to do. That's a part of my life. And in this 21-day fast that we're in, I've been asking God, asking God for more of that. See, I've been praying for God to bring the people in that we are praying for on each of our walls and each of our areas that we've written down those names. But on top of it, I'm like, if I'm gonna fast for 21 days, I'm gonna ask God for more. I'm like God. I, I want you to, to reveal some things to me. I want you to show some things to me on this on this thing, and this thing, and this thing. And God said, "Here's the deal. I'm gonna reveal something to you, but it's not gonna be that." He goes, "I'm gonna give you what you need, not what you want." It's like, that's not fun. <laughs> and he said this to me, and I'll, I'll just tell you, I'm gonna prepare you for this. Like God, God, he speaks incredibly blunt to me because he knows me. Like if he if he spoke in like poetic. Language, I'd be like, that's a nice song. So he does. He just he, he said, How, you are living out your ministry calling, but you are totally failing at the calling that I've given you as a Christian. It's like, what, what do you mean? He said, How, you've, you've stopped taking what I've done for you outside of the walls of the church said, so you, you, you do a great job of talking about me in the church, but I see no purpose to the way that you, you go about your, yourself in your neighborhood. I, I don't see any purpose to the way that you, you go into your community. I don't, I don't see you reaching out to people, hoping that you get the opportunity to share with them the good news that I've given you. And I'll tell you, it's easy. I think it's easy as a pastor. It's easy as a Christian many times. To, to get stuck in such a, an area where you just become a part of the church so much that all your friends are Christians, all the people that you're around are Christians. In the same way, as a pastor at a church, all the people that I work with already know Jesus. Like, I can only save the Temple Terrace staff so many times. God's like, but you, you have to do this, and I think... The problem, the problem that has happened in this, is, that I think it's this is the biggest problem that has happened, is the fact that we have taken the mantle, the responsibility of evangelism off the shoulder of the Christian, and we put it on the church. We've gone like, but the church has a great website, the church has great social media presence, the church puts all the sermons on YouTube, and how, maybe if you just taught better, more people would come. And then we give, you, we give you these invite cards and we have the digital invites and we have all these things and we tell you, hey, you need to go out. But you're like, you already sent a mailer. You don't need to do that. Guys, understand me in this and hear me in this. We don't do those things to take evangelism away from you. We do it so that when you talk about Grace Family Church, when you invite people to Grace Family Church, they can look us up and go, hey, they look halfway normal. They're probably not a cult. I think that'd be a great Easter invite. Come to Grace, it's definitely not a cult. (laughs) I want you to hear these statistics. 2% of people that will attend Easter Sunday in the United States come because of advertisements. 86% come because a friend brought them. Because a friend brought them. And you you may say, but... What is it that I'm called to do? I mean, Matthew 28, it's the Great Commission. This is what Jesus said we ought to do. He said, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. He's saying, go and proclaim my good news. Go and tell other people about what I've done, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all my commands. This is the discipleship part that I've given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even till the end of the age. I know you hear this, you're like, man, I'm supposed to go into all the earth. No, you don't need to go into all the earth. We have enough people that don't know Jesus in Tampa. I think it's easy to come to a church that's as big as Grace Family Church and assume, wow, we, we've got this covered. But they, they did a survey of the top 51 metropolitan areas, all over a million people. And of all the metropolitan areas, they looked at their, how many people were churched. And Tampa came in 50th out of 51. Vegas beat us. (laughs) Sin City loves Jesus more than Tampa. Why do I say that? Guys, we have. They're around us. They're in proximity to us. They're in our neighborhoods, they're at our work, they're in our schools, there's people there that absolutely need to hear about the hope you have. They need to hear about the love of Jesus. They need to know what he's done in your life. Guys, we care about evangelism so much, it's in our top five. Like, you, you know, G-R-A-C-E, what we stand for. We're generational, we're relational, we're authentic, we're committed, we're evangelistic. We believe in evangelism because it's a part of what every Christian is called to do. It's not a pastor thing, it's not a website thing, it's a follower of Christ thing. And look, you have the ability to reach people that we can't reach. You do. And I just want to illustrate that with a story that you've heard of, but maybe in a way you haven't heard it before. There's the story of Jesus with the woman at the well. Jesus is is traveling. They're, They're heading somewhere. And instead of going around Samaria, this place, they go through it. Which is weird for a Jewish person, especially a rabbi, because the Jewish people hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans started off as Jewish, but then they took other pagan religions and they intermingled it with the Jewish faith. And they even brought in child sacrifice and many other awful things. So they basically perverted the Jewish faith. And so the Jewish people absolutely hated them. They were the least among the Jewish people. They, they hated them with all, everything that they had in their body. Yet Jesus goes, we're going to go through that city because that's Jesus. And they get in there and it's about noontime and Jesus sends the disciples in to get food. And while they're going to get food, a rabbi, Jesus was a rabbi, a male rabbi did something that no male rabbi would do. He went in and he talked to a Samaritan woman. See, this woman was at the well, it was about noontime, which was weird already right off the bat because you normally did not come to the well at noontime. You came in the morning while it was still cool. But she was apparently, she was not liked in her community or she was afraid of being around her community, so she was there at noon. But Jesus starts a conversation with her. He says, hey, can you, can you get me some water? She's like, how am I supposed to get you water? You don't even have a bucket. And he goes, well, if you knew who I was, you wouldn't want the water that I have because it's eternal. And she's confused by this and they start talking. They have a little bit of a theological discussion. And then Jesus does something absolutely huge. He tells this woman, this Samaritan woman, that he is the Messiah. And here's why this is big. That was the first person that Jesus told that he was the Messiah. The first person that he told was a Samaritan woman. That's why it kills me when people say, well, the Christian faith doesn't value women. Jesus didn't value women. He did nothing but value women. And he tells her that and they talk and he says, hey, why don't you go and get your husband and we find out why she's there And noon. She goes, I don't have a husband. He's like, you're right, because you've been married five times and the guy that you're living with right now, you are not married to. And many times people have thought, well, that's just because you know, she just loved men. Most people believe this, is that she was probably barren. And so men would marry her. The moment she couldn't give birth, they would divorce her. And this happened five times to the point where she goes, you know what, I don't wanna be rejected anymore. I'm just gonna live with this guy. He calls out, her innermost sin, the thing that she is most embarrassed of. And he talks to her about it. And then she goes into the town, she goes, come see the man that told me everything about me. And she brings back the entire town. Now here's the part you may have missed. Who else was in that town? Who went earlier? The disciples did. The guys that walk with Jesus, the guys that know everything about Jesus, the guys that should be the ones talking about Jesus, who did they bring back? No one. Why? Because she was the one that knew the town. Well, how? I don't know enough about Jesus. She talked to him for like five minutes but how, you know, I'm not living the life that I ought to live. She was an outcast because of the life that she was living, but she went into her town. She goes, guys, I need you to understand this. I'm excited about this. There's this special guy that I just met. There's something different about him and you have to meet him. Look, what God is calling you to do is not to know everything about him, not to live a perfect life, but to go to people and say, I have a hope. I have a love that I found and you need it. And you need it. You're like, how, how, do I, how do I do this evangelistic thing? Like, how do I do this in my neighborhood? Do I get like a milk crate and stand on top of it and yell at my neighbors and call them sinners? No. Please, for the love of all that is good and holy, don't do that. <laughs> do what Jesus did. He got them around the table and he had a meal with them. When you see Jesus going to places that nobody thought he should go, He's going in for a meal, he's going in for a party, he's he's going on their terms, he's allowing the conversation to happen and then explaining to them who he was. Guys, I I think one of the biggest evangelistic tools that we have that is so underutilized is our dinner table. The ability to bring somebody in, or maybe for you, it's it's the backyard with the grill. And I'll just say this as an aside, if you have the ability to use a smoker and you can make good ribs and good brisket and you are not using that for the glory of God, you are missing (laughs) You're calling. Because I don't know about you, but when I eat some good barbecue, I'm like, whatever you say, I'm listening to it. <laughs> they won't be talking for a bit, and you get to. Because it's the reason we've been talking about neighborhood groups. Like, I, whenever I talk about neighborhood groups, people we are like, but that's not the way we've always done it. Fine. That doesn't matter. The reason we want to start neighborhood groups is because we want you to start a group in your neighborhood because there's people in your neighborhood that will walk through your front doors that would never walk through the doors of the church. We have the ability to get it. It's not like we're just walking around randomly going, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? No, we're starting relationships with the people God has put us in proximity to. He has put you in your neighborhood and in your community on purpose. He has put you in your workplace on purpose. He has put you in your school on purpose for you to influence those around you. I'll say it this way, and this is a little bit, I guess you could say blunt, Jesus died for you, absolutely. He died for you, but he didn't die just for you. Jesus died for me, absolutely, but he didn't die just for me. And I think in our Americanized Christianity, we made everything about us, It's all about my calling and what God wants to do in my personal relationship and my, my, my. And God's like, no, 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 no. (laughs) This is supposed to be something that you share. This is supposed to be something that you give away. One of the things that God kind of revealed to me in this time was he said how the reason You feel a distance sometimes. The reason you feel a dryness in your relationship with me its not because you don't spend time with me. It's not because you're not talking to me. It's not because you're not reading your Bible. It's because you're holding on to the one thing I told you to give away. The gospel is not something that's supposed to be hoarded. It's not something to hold on to. It's something to tell others about. Something to remind other people about. John 3, 16, we know the verse, but it says it so plainly. It said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So God died for the world. Yeah, I know when we talk about this and we talk about what Jesus did on the cross and we talk about what we ought to be doing Many times there's, there's, there's a lot of emotion that can come into play. There's a lot of emotion that can happen. Many times we can feel guilt or we can feel shame or we can just feel bad. And I, I want to say this. I'm going to free some of you right now. God doesn't want you to feel bad. He doesn't want you to feel bad. And here's why. It's a worthless emotion. God doesn't want you to feel bad. He doesn't want you to sit in some sort of emotional purgatory like some sort of emotional time out and think about what you did and when you're done, you can come out and actually do what I've called you to do. No, he doesn't want you to feel bad. He doesn't want you to feel guilt or shame. That's what the enemy is trying to tell you you need to feel. Actually, what God wants you to feel, what God wants you to feel is something that is totally different. God God wants you to have a conviction God wants you to have an incredibly strong conviction, God wants you to have a conviction that what you know matters. He wants you to have a conviction that the hope that you have needs to be shared. He wants you to have a conviction that what Jesus did on the cross mattered and he did it for a purpose because he wanted to reach the world. He wants you to have a conviction that when you look at your neighbors, when you look at your workplace, when you look at your schools and you see each and every person there, you want them to know the freedom that you have. He wants you to have a conviction. He wants your heart to break for where his breaks. He wants you to see people the way he sees them, as lost that need a shepherd. See, right now what we're gonna do is we're gonna celebrate what Jesus did through communion. We're gonna celebrate what he's done. If you didn't get the communion supplies when you came in, if you could just put your hand up real quick. I didn't get mine either. And here's what I want us to do today. When we remember what Jesus did, yes, it it both, it bolsters our faith, but it should also remind us of what still needs to be done. It should remind us of what we still need to do so as we as we take this the first part is the bread which you you see on top there like I said the bread it represents Jesus's body the sacrifice that was given for us and it said that Jesus broke the bread and it symbolizes his broken body See, the sacrifice reminds us that Jesus already paid the price. I don't need to work for his love. He already loves me. I don't need to work for his affection. He already has that for me. I don't need to work for his approval. He already approves of me. See, I remember what he did so that what I do is from the love that he's shown me. So as we take the bread, we remember the sacrifice that was given. And Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. God, we thank you in this moment. God, we thank you for the sacrifice that was made, the fact that you loved us so much that you sent your son down to this earth. And he was the sacrifice that we needed to to join back in relationship with you. God, we thank you for that today. God, I pray that you help us stay out of the idea that we need to earn your love or your acceptance because you already love and you already accept us, God. But I pray that we continue to move forward with you and do what you called us to do because we get to do it. God, we thank you for that sacrifice today. And the second part is the juice or the wine, which represents Jesus's blood. And, and to us nowadays, this doesn't make sense, but, but but that time, blood represented forgiveness, represented the covering, and it's Jesus' blood that covers us. See, what happens is when God looks at us, he no longer sees our sin and our problems, he sees his son. And so what this reminds us of is every time that we mess up, every time that we sin, there's forgiveness waiting for us. There's nothing that we can do that is not worthy of that forgiveness. And the only thing that is keeping that forgiveness from us is the lies that the enemy is telling us. So today, if you're in that place right now, you have not sought that forgiveness because you think you're unworthy of it. God's saying, no, 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 ask for it. Just confess your sins. He will forgive you. So when Jesus was talking about this, he goes, you need to remember my forgiveness because without it, you won't be able to continue on the journey that I've called you to do. So he said, do this in remembrance of me. God, we thank you so much for the forgiveness that you continue to give us over and over and over again. God, we thank you that you understand that we are are fallible creatures who need a savior that loves us that much. And God, we thank you that you continue to do that. God, I pray that we would seek forgiveness the moment that we sin so that we can maintain relationship with you. God, we thank you for your son. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you that we know where we will be at the end. God, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grace Family Church podcast. For more info, check out gfcflorida.com or connect with us by texting the word CONNECT to 81313. We look forward to meeting you at one of our locations soon.